Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. For sure, I think if I get to drive more and more and more, uh, for sure, you know, I'm going to feel more comfortable. I nearly told him to calm down in the end. I'm like, mate, you're making me stressed. I'm stressed enough as he's not. In 2014, Chaz Mostert and Paul Morris won Bathurst. The race finished at almost 6.30 and 5.2 million people were watching at the end of that race. So a quarter of the Australian population watched Chaz win that race. That's a pretty you know, compelling figure to, to drop on anybody. <laughs> From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. And welcome to Inside Supercars with Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock. Good evening, Tony. As we get through a, another eventful week in motorsport in Australia and around the world. Fortunately, we can talk about that time when there's been some common sense or the uncommon sense has been shown with the merger of the 5,000 categories rather than two combative uh, uh, categories uh, for the same sort of target, that being former 5,000 potential drivers. We've now got uh, where supercars have announced that the two combined ones, the Chris Lambden, Formula Thunder 3, 5000, and the supercars, John McMillan, and I can't remember the other chap's name, Pace and Wilson Security anyway, they're combining together. Yeah, good news indeed. And uh, it now will probably mean that we will see cars on the racetrack because uh, with those two series, I don't reckon you would have got 12 cars in either series. You might have got six cars in each, but you wouldn't have got 12 in each, and no-one would want to put on a race meeting with only six cars each. No, and, and look, the great thing is that where we, we haven't had for many years a uh, competitive series up from uh, Formula 4, Formula 3, Formula 4, a faster, more powerful, more dynamic racing car series, and now we have that again. And that's terrific for the development of drivers... But not only for uh, local consumption, but for those who are wanting to go on the international stage. So that's great news. And I think that's an important thing that we haven't had for a long time in this country. Mm. You've only got to look at what New Zealand's been doing with their fantastic series. They're not powerful cars, but they're all the same cars. And that what it means is that drivers have been from around the world coming and competing. And two drivers in the Formula One now came through that series racing on the tracks of Manfield and Teratonga and Ruapuna, they are in Formula One now. Mm. And that means great things for, for New Zealand motorsport. And it will mean with having another category in our, a relevant category. Okay, it's not a destination category, but it's one that people can go through as development. Second good news is in the development of our drivers is that Career Cup Australia is now over in this weekend competing in Sepang. And that's a comeback from last year where. Career Cup Asia came and competed at Sydney Motorsport Park last year in our series. So it's terrific news. 17 Australian guys up there competing in Sepang. I think it's a terrific, terrific it, thing. It is great, and you want to get onto tracks like that if you're a racing driver. They are expansive racing uh, circuits that, you know, open your eyes to the world of uh, European motorsport because... In all honesty, we only have the one track like that in Australia, and that is, of course, Phillip Island. Indeed, indeed. The next piece of good news is uh, about sponsorship, and that is sees the return of Vodafone. Since it uh, left Triple Eight, it hasn't been involved in the sport. I think the company itself in Australia has been going through some growth pains, maybe, 
but they're coming back by sponsoring the Gold Coast Big Thunder, which is terrific news. Well, they have been on the pace car. They have been on. They have been on the pace car for a little while now, and yeah, yeah, but that's that's not sort of main. That's not centre frame, shall we say? Mm. And they've been sponsoring uh, Mark Scaife for years, so you know he's supercars, isn't he? Oh well, yes. Another piece of good news uh, for uh, the development of uh, supercars and drivers is the debut at uh, Queensland Raceway on July 28.30 of uh, the Matt Stone Racing, their entry, which is the Todd Hazelwood car, uh, an X888 car. I think it's an X Lounge car, I believe. Um, and Todd Hazelwood, of course, who won uh, at Townsville, had a very dominant weekend, winning both races in pole position. And he uh, comes there leading the points score, and along with uh, Jack LeBrock and Shay Davies and James Golding making his debut in a standalone round, isn't it? Is that his? Yep, uh, it will be indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's terrific to see uh, the category grow, grow back up to uh, a neat thirty. I would think. It's. In fact, I think this is Golding's second race. I think he was at Winton, second, wasn't he? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, and the more cars you have on the grid, the better the better it is. And and it's people forget that motor racing, or people who don't understand Formula One forget the motor racing is about the race, and it's not necessarily racing for first place. There are battles inside battles inside battles, and uh, uh, I likened it to the fact that well, uh, on the weekend at Silverstone. Verstappen was one place in front of Daniel Ricciardo, but Verstappen lost a place or two places, and Ricciardo came out of 23 to get fifth. At the end of that day, you've probably had uh, a better race than your teammate. It was also uh, an eventful weekend for one of those things that uh, is happens in modern motorsport, and that is the uh, sub-three-second pit stop in Formula One. Both um, Valtteri Bottas and Daniel Ricciardo both had 2.1 second stops for four-wheel and tyre, which is an amazing time, just extraordinary. Mm. And one thing that I've liked about having the uh, fuel drop rules in supercars is the fact that we're not expecting that sort of performance from our teams because it's uh, it's superhuman and it also requires uh, a mammoth number of people to be able to uh, perform that. Indeed. This week's show is very special because uh, we've got a uh, six-time uh, championship leading engineer. Well, in fact, he was five times, I think. Um, and now team manager at Triple Eight, which is, of course, the uh, uh, Red Bull Holman Racing Team. Mark Dutton joins us this week to give us a background on how he got to where he is now and uh, the day-to-day runnings of uh, playing in one of the uh, most competitive categories in the world. So after the break, we'll uh, talk with Mark Dutton. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page. And to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as best supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian tyres since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au.
Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm David Reynolds. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. Wonderful. And welcome again to Inside Supercars. On this week's show, we're fortunate enough, as we mentioned earlier, to have Mark Dutton, the team manager at the full name of the team is, of course, Red Bull Holden Racing Team. Is that correct? That is correct, my friend. Wonderful. Because, of course, this new age, I have to um, make sure that I'm getting these things correct. Welcome aboard, Mark. Great to have you on board. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, coming off a weekend, it was a terrific weekend to uh, see your team yet again, of which you've actually built a reputation as being not only very quick and fast in winning championships, but also one who was able to bounce back when things not quite right to come back. That was a great recovery on uh, to, from Saturday where you could only get a second place. Wow, you. <laughs> to uh, yeah. Sunday where it was a great win by uh, Jamie um, to add to his uh, massive total of 104 wins and take him to the new joint leadership uh, role of race wins in the category with Craig. Um, fantastic bounce back. You, uh, you should be very proud of what the guys achieved. Yeah, I mean it's it's not uh, it's not easy to to do it. It, it, it takes a, a lot of work, and and obviously sometimes the the team can feel that you're you're not getting the results that uh, that you know, reflect the amount of effort you're putting in. But um, no one has been deterred by the challenge. So yeah, it was uh, it was excellent to get the result on Sunday, um, and the way we did it as well. You know, it was uh, in in the race in particular. You know, Jamie clearly had had the most pace. Um, yeah, so yeah, that allowed us to 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 do a strategy to to help get him in front and take the lead. But that all came apart because of uh, yeah, the engineers and the drivers working so well together to um to get that race pace. Yeah, and there were some very tense laps there, tense in terms of a very intense fight between the two, uh, which was wonderful to see uh, on track when you know, um, for instance, after the second stop by uh, Scott McLaughlin uh, coming out and Jamie just getting him and. Then being able to draw away and get a gap. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's been tight all year, and, and really good racing as well. I think not yes. just amongst uh, uh, us and the Penske boys, but just up and down the field. Um, it, it's been pretty good racing all around. So uh, yeah, it was it was tight, but um, yeah, there was it was so tight that we basically had to do the passing in the pits, um, yeah. which we did. But once again, it was only because of because of the car speed that, that you were allowed to do that strategy and, and make it work. It seems as though we've we've gone away from the stacking problem. We don't seem to be having that to the same degree, because there have been very few safety cars this year, of course. Yeah, exactly. I think you know if, if you look uh, over the last few years, there's been a, a trend in, in in less safety cars, which which firstly comes down to uh, better prepared cars by all the teams and a higher level of of preparation. Uh, so you're not having failures as such, um, and then also the standard of driving is, is such that. Um, there's, there's less incidences, uh, and then sometimes the formats and the tracks also uh, will, will cause that as well. So at a high deck circuit like Townsville is, um, the drivers don't always drive at, uh, at ten tenths during the race because they know they have to manage their tyres. So if you're not, um, yeah, pushing the, the you know, the hundred percent, then therefore that the chance of pushing to the hundred five percent and ending up in a wall uh, is reduced. So. Um, yeah, obviously the boys up the front going for, for the race when, <laughs> are pushing the 100%, but uh, uh, the drivers with maybe a little bit less experience uh, aren't quite pushing as hard as previously, so you don't see as many uh, safety cars popping up. Which brings us back, in fact, to when you started. I remember so well, and I, um, 
thinking of those times when we used to see so many more finger problems, that being either where the mechanics were inexperienced, tired, or the equipment wasn't right, where you'd have those crank sensors and various other items that would be failing on cars. We just don't see that to the same degree anymore. No, no, exactly. If, if you go to the to our longest race of the year, Bathurst, yeah, the, the previous strategy was pretty simple. Stay on the lead lap and you're finishing the top six because of the amount of cars breaking down and failures and, 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 and mistakes from drivers. Uh, whereas these days, if you stay on the lead lap, yeah, yeah you'll be in the top 20, uh, yeah. but, but certainly not the top six. So yeah. it is a credit to all the teams up and down pit lane. Um, yeah. So, in fact, let's take it back to where you started motorsport. Where, when did you fall in love with the sport? Yeah, I was I was quite fortunate to um, you know I was a bit of a, a rugby player, so a bit of a, a meathead. So that, that was my sort of sport of choice. And then um, yeah, Larco hired me straight out of uni, so I started with with Larco down the coast. And um, then from there was uh, no, no, mate, I'm not that old. Come on, give it a break. You're not that old, all right. I, I'm trying to remember if it was 2000 or 2001. I keep forgetting. I think right. it okay, might well, yeah. yeah, one of those. Uh, 2002 started with Briggs, I remember that, and then uh, yep. September 03, uh, Roland bought out uh, Briggs yep. Motorsport and, and formed Triple Eight, and Sandown being the first meeting as uh, as Triple Eight Race Engineering. Yes, I remember that meeting well, and remember Bathurst that year when it was a fairly inglorious sort of Triple Eight uh, excursion to the mountain. Yeah, we've we've had uh, had some tough times there, that's for sure. Yeah. but it's. It's all about the learning process and and trying to yeah you know, look for the you know the long term and and learn what you need to do and and improve time and time again. Mark, at yes. at that time, Mark Larkham had a very had quite a different view of the world of supercar <laughs> racing to what the establishment had. Some would say it's moved to his vision now. But at that time, he was a bit of an outlier, wasn't he, with the way he looked at the preparation of the cars and even the way he wanted to see cars and parts homologated. Yeah, yeah. He, um, I didn't spend too much time with him because, unfortunately, uh, some sponsors let him down. So I was only there for uh, just under six months. Um, so it, he's, he's a good guy, and I still obviously stay in contact with him now and, and enjoy talking about the, the whole process. But... Um, Unfortunately, I didn't have too much time in his, in his race team. He he, uh, he was he managed to successfully expand it to to the two cars and all that kind of stuff. Uh, once I'd left, I'm sure it was nothing to do with me being there. That uh, that uh, <laughs> that the sponsorship dried up. But uh, no, he bounced back and uh, did a great job with the team. Well, and interesting, of course, because also Ken McNamara and Jeremy Moore were there as well. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it goes way back to there. That's where we we met them and and. Um, yeah, then Jeremy actually went to, to Briggs Motorsport before me, um, yep. and then Alex Zockling, who was the, the sort yes. of chief engineer at uh, at, um, at Larco's, went to, went to Briggs Motorsport, and he was the one who gave me a call one Saturday morning, actually after speaking to Kenny Mack and getting my phone number, um, right. out of the blue called and said, uh, Mark, do you want to get back into motorsport? Because uh, I was just doing some sort of R&D uh, you know, diesel emissions work. Um, so I told him, I told him, no, nah, mate, uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good actually, yeah, earning a, a proper living and, and getting paid, uh, yeah, something a little bit sensible. Um, but then, then he said, oh, come in for a look. And uh, he, he, he sweet talked to me and uh, started, um, yeah, a couple of weeks later and straight into uh, being a race engineer, actually. Yeah. It, it 
must be very pleasing for you because so many elements of what you know John Briggs put together were really there still in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he, he was a he was a hard taskmaster as well, John Briggs. Mm. Um, and and there was a lot higher staff turnover, but he he used to say, "Look, I, I make no qualms about that because uh, if you're not right, then uh, then you're out the door, sort of thing." So yeah. he he definitely was a bit tough. He he, he didn't have uh, as in depth knowledge with motorsport as, as Roland does. Yeah, not many yeah. people do. Um, so it's it's not really a fair comparison. Um, uh, no, no disrespect to, to John at all. It's just no, the no, problem no. level is uh, is something else. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you were engineering Jamie, and um, you know it, it didn't take long from when Jamie joined to first success. I so vividly remember that day in Adelaide, and on the Monday afterwards, talking to Ludo, um, and we were preparing the cars uh, to go straight to the Albert Park after Jamie's yeah, first was, win. Yeah, that, see, I, I didn't race engineer that one. So when uh, I was race engineering uh, before Jamie got there, and then um, that was my first demotion, and, and thankfully only demotion, um, when uh, I was demoted from race engineer to, to data engineer um, uh, for Ludo to take over and, and engineer this new young kid that was coming on board. And uh, so it was actually my, one of my best, I think, um, uh, yeah, reviews, employment reviews, because... Uh, I got a, a pay rise, which was, is pretty hard to come by from Roland, and uh, <laughs> and and also some compliments in a meeting, which are, are equally hard to, to come by as well, and right. uh, and yeah, less responsibility. So it was it was actually really good. I'd never actually been a data engineer. Um, I'd gone straight to being a race engineer, which um, as much as you want to do that, sometimes it is better to to walk, walk before you run. So. I, I did get a good opportunity to, to learn a lot uh, on the data side. Right, okay. Um, and and uh, fabulously, I mean, no one else in Australian history has got uh, the success that you had in that uh, partnership for so many years. It was a wonderful thing to see and, and, you know, the obviously great joy that you had in working together. Yeah, it was, it's, it's pretty special. Um, yeah, Roland uh, has always said a a bit of a team mentality and ethos to be uh, like a family, and 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 that's how we all act. And and definitely it was um, it was more sort of being like brothers, Jamie and I working together, sort of thing. Uh, sometimes you'd probably say I was the, the the big brother that had to to, to take a few of the the raps and, uh, and and stick up for his little brother sometimes. But uh, mate, I, I loved the role. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't ask for a, a, a better stint as as a race engineer paired with a driver, um, yeah, it's, it was pretty special to be part of something like that. One of the things that's always amazed me is, and I'm not trying to get into the deep psychology at all, is that how people who don't know Jamie, um, I'm talking about the fans and the forum dwellers and those sort of things, yeah. how they can be so derogatory of him. I mean, I've known him since he was in Formula Ford. And, you know, there are very few people, very few drivers out there who've, I found, you know, when I've been sick or something like that, that, you know, shows a genuine care. I mean, he's not mm, a self-centred yeah. narcissist at all. Um, no, exactly. People people make mistakes from, from focus and, and one-mindedness. So Jamie is the consummate uh, professional, uh, just a pure athlete, you know. You can see the elation in him on the weekend. It's a perfect example of yeah. uh, how how happy it was to get that win, you know, his yeah. first win for the year when he's been so close, but he, he didn't go out and have a drink. Um, yes. 
because he's a professional athlete. So, he, um, which some people will call boring and, and this and that, and have all their own opinions. But for me, I think it's, I think it's the the most successful way to to be an athlete. Um, yeah. Now you can do it um, with mixing, uh, yeah, fun, fun and pleasure, and work with it all. But um, I do think the the most productive and, and uh, yeah, well, the the numbers say it all. Yeah, Jamie's record is is spectacular. And I think the fact that uh, the level of commitment he shows and and self sacrifice um, helps helps uh, you know get him those those results. But it's not only his record; it's the fact that he's done it in the most competitive era of the, of our category. You know, oh, exactly, exactly, you know, and, I mean, and the it, fashion in which he's done it, you know, as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I happen to know Graham, his uncle, quite well, and he yeah. told me stories about you know young Jamie the go kart and things like that, and so I have an insight. <laughs> That I feel very special to know those things. And, um, yeah, yeah. Um, did, does he bring out your competitive spirit? Uh, he, or did what, he? What you know, in that time period. Oh, I've I've been quite fortunate in. in uh, I, I don't need any help with the competitive side. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm quite competitive myself. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it. But but what he the attention to detail. Uh, both him and Roland have have definitely helped me. Uh, develop that and, and, and push that further. Uh, that's that's the big thing they did. Um, I've always been uh, been competitive. Uh, I actually had to sort of learn how to channel a little bit better. Obviously, uh, when you're competitive in motorsport, it's a, it's a little bit different to being uh, competitive in rugby. And you don't, uh, you can't just go and smash people as such. <laughs> that's not the way it works. So, uh, so I had to, I had to uh, learn how to, you know, direct. Uh, the frustration and, and anger that anyone feels in any sort of uh, competitive sport um, to, to better channel and, and use that aggression um, in, into just working hard and, and, and going, I don't know about above and beyond, but just doing, giving my all. And, and if that's more than others are giving, then it, 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 might, have, uh, it might have helped us. There's, there's definitely fond memories that uh, Jamie and I will, will sort of reminisce without... Not, not, not patting yourself on the back too much, but just just fun yeah, times and stories when you when you dug deep and and uh, and got results from it. Yeah, tell me wh- when did Roland first um, present the idea to you of becoming team manager? Uh, the same day that uh, that Adrian left. So yeah, there was right. it, okay. it happened straight away, sort of thing. Um, and uh, it took you a little time come. to grasp it, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I loved. Uh, being a race engineer so much that it was one of those things that you didn't, uh, you know, hey, I didn't want to be disrespectful and not jump at the opportunity. But at the same time, uh, I was I was very happy with the role I was I was in, and uh, and still had had a few few boxes I wanted to to, to sort of tick along the way. So that that was uh, the, the well, my hesitation or my request for yeah, can I can I go home and and have a think about it. I didn't go home, obviously, from work. I had to keep working, but <laughs> that night when I finally got home, I, I had to think about it. But you didn't transfer full-time into that role immediately. You still stayed as Jamie's engineer at the track for, what, three years? No, two years. No, no, no. Uh, technically, I, I transferred straight into it. Um, well, not, not straight then. Uh, at the end of the season, I finished off the season, um, which was the 2012 season, and I'm oh, sorry, 2013 season, I should say. Sorry, um, and then 2014 uh, rolled out as um, as team manager, um, but still had uh, you know 
David Gancy was obviously very new to the to the role being a being a race engineer, so we threw him in the in the fire, so so to speak. So it was uh, I was I was coming in the the passenger's door to 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 yeah to assist to, as, as much as I could, sort of thing. And you know we've learned from the process and and uh, and yeah the the requirement to try and give your give your you know, up and coming race engineers a, a little bit more. Um, Training before you before you throw them in the deep end like we did David Couchy. Um that that was a bit of a birth of fire for him, but but he he did it fantastically, and and Jamie uh, Jamie took to, to Couchy very well. They're already very close friends, and uh, and the fact that I was able to to sort of come in the passengers' door during practice sessions and, and things like that just helped smooth over the transition. Did that lessons or did those lessons help when Irish got the call up midway through last year? Exactly. So that's why we um, we we had him as as not Ludo's data engineer as such last year. We had him as we we did make the role different. So we did make him effectively a trainee race engineer last year, um, which which served uh, really well for Irish. It also, funnily enough, served really well for Ludo because he was he was quite rusty in the race engineering department. So last year. Um, uh, you know, blew the cobwebs out and uh, has made our job harder this year because, uh, yeah, yeah he, he definitely got back up to speed last year and then hit the ground running this year, unfortunately, for someone else. And now, of course, you've got, again, a, a much larger job because you've got Gen 2 with the new yeah, car exactly. and that's concurrently running, running an incredibly successful team and an incredibly um, competitive category to be doing this is another side issue like guys we haven't got enough on our plate let's have some more things no exactly um in this this is a big one we we have done similar things before when we've been uh developing uh products for for, for tender when it was going to car of the future so that was already a, a big task when you're when you're working till sort of 10 30 at night uh night in night out at uh, at the workshop uh, designing designing components for a car that's two years away from from hitting the track, while uh, while most of your opposition, if not all of them, aren't. So we've always um, we've always had a lot on our plate, but um, that's the way we do things at AAA. You know, we don't just want to be a race team. Obviously, we we do like to to, to support the category and, and try and make it uh, more affordable and 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 uh, and uh, and different models for teams. You know, Techno's a a perfect example of uh, of taking uh, you know they want to be pure races so they they buy everything from us basically and then try and beat us on track and you know they're the <laughs> they're the current Bathurst holders they've come second in it in the in uh, driver championship they've done such a fantastic um, fantastic job of going racing by by using that model which is very different to Triple Eight. But um, and wouldn't obviously work without a team like Triple Eight being able to supply the parts uh, and supplying competitive parts and and backup customer support. So uh, yeah, it is very difficult um, being being not just a race team that looks after yourself, but but customers as well. Because we already spoke about the you know the competitive nature when you have to give all those competitive bits and information and technology. Uh, yeah. Technological agreements, all that kind of stuff, to to your opposition, uh, and then try and go and beat them. It is 
It is different. It does take you a while to get used to that. After the break, we'll be back with Mark Dutton to hear more of his tale. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two lovers to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to uh, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. After 10 years or whatever it is that Jamie and, and uh, Craig have been together, suddenly then last year blending in a second driver, a third driver rather. Yeah, that was an interesting one. I was, I was actually curious myself um, because it was such a, you know, a family atmosphere and still is. Uh, I, w- I was actually quite curious to see um, how that would work and, and how, um, yeah, even, even myself, how you know, you're so used to the you know, your two brothers in, in, in Jamie and Craig, uh, yep. how that would feel would it be a bit funny, but, but it wasn't at all. I mean, it was it was just seamless integration and uh, and worked so well. It was it was really cool actually, um, because you, know, you, you you do wonder how that is going to work because with having the same people for so long, um, it, it, you know, will it be weird when, when someone else comes along? But it, it wasn't at all. It, and the full credit to Shane, you know, he just, just merged into the into the family as if he'd been there all along. Yeah, one of the interesting things, and I mean, I got to know Steve Hallam pretty well and things like that, and, and I've spoken with Shane about it, that if he hadn't had those two years with Steve Hallam, he would never have been ready for Roland. And, and yeah. you, and I, I mean, the, you know, the whole Triple <laughs> thing, but because he had those two years, he knew what, you know, to compete at the very top level in a full-blooded team, a factory team, that, you know, how he had to grow, and, and he did. Oh, mate, exactly. Steve Allen is an amazing, uh, amazing person, yeah. Um, he, before um, Shane came over and joined us, he was, we had the technical agreement with Techno, so they used to come up for debriefs post-race meeting, and um, I used to love them, uh just actually hear Steve Hallam's uh, other stories about other categories he'd been in and just the, the wealth and the depth of knowledge he had was, was fantastic. I used to be uh, be glued to every word sort of thing and I was fortunate enough for last year to catch up with him uh, in America just for dinner. He's, he's, he's such a great guy. I've had a couple of meals with him over the years. I mean, one of them lasted over three and a half hours or a lunch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things that I find so fascinating about him, and he's somebody who's competed at the very top end you know, for so long, yeah. is that the minimum number of words, you know, there's no great robust statements. I mean, it's just, he'll tell you something and, and it's just a very small amount of words, you'll actually learn something about something you never, never considered before. Ah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. I'd probably say too many, but he says the right amount. No, no, no. Not, not yeah, I say some. I, I, I say some extras along the way, but no, I totally agree. I know what you mean exactly. Yeah, he's a, he's a very, very, very smart guy. Mm. Yeah, Mark. One of the things that I, I have thought has been the most amazing part, and uh, most, uh, I guess, fulfilling part for you guys, is the fact that you went on that period 
where three years straight you not only turned up at the first race and, and dominated, but you did it with three completely different cars, which basically meant over the summer you guys didn't get much – not that you have a long break anyway, but you just had absolutely no time and – you know, you didn't have huge amounts of extra staff to get you over the line, as certainly as far as I was aware. So you went, I think, uh, Falcon, VE, and then VE2, or, or, or something like that, or Falcon, New Falcon, New Holden, all in three years, back to back to back. Yeah, the um, the, the the one that was um, sort of, I mean, you're, you're proud of them all, but when we changed from Ford to Holden... Um, that was a mammoth task, and, and when Roland came and told us it was going to happen, um, I thought he was crazy and, and hoped he was joking because the um, the FG was such a fantastic car. Um, the aero job Deludo had done on that was second to none, and I still mean second to none as the category stands now. Um, so I, I, I honestly said to Roland, we can't win against that car, and... Um, and then we went and did, obviously, but uh, which was which was fantastic. But uh, yeah, I wasn't joking at the time. There was there was there was times when I was at a, at a racetrack because I was still racing engineering there, and would think there was something wrong with the sensors on on the car we'd we'd inherited, um, because it had no downforce and, and things like that. And it was no, no, it was just um, compared to the, to the FG, it was just not as good of a base car. Um, so we had to work so very hard to make that car competitive, uh, and, and let alone win sort of thing. So that, that was, that was very, very special to be, to be part of that. And, and everyone just knows to the grindstone, yeah, we did back to back test days, um, not because they were planned, but, uh, because, um, yeah, we, we just didn't have, uh, didn't have the car speed. When the first time we rolled out, we, we went back and we had to quickly make some components. Um, and we didn't have enough time to make enough components to, to run both cars on the next test day, but we knew we had to do the test day, so we only ran uh, the one car, so it was just Jamie and, and myself, on our car that we ran. Uh, obviously, everyone was part of it. JJ was there working hard, Lounge was there as well. We were all working together. It's not like we went out on our own and, 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 and did anything like that. It was still everyone involved in it, but, uh, yeah, it was... Yeah, there was a, there was a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of pressure, as you say, sort of thing at sport in the day. So, however much pressure you decide to call it, uh, we're still fortunate enough to play the game we play. But um, it was one of those things that yeah, the the, the clock was against us because you know we know we knew we had to load the cars up and, and fly off and do back to back Abu Dhabi Bahrain. Mm. Now you're in a homologation process again, and I'm I'm wondering. From those lessons and from those three years where you were, you know, right in in amongst it, is that how you form now the homologation process that you're running through with the new car? Yeah, so it's it's interesting now because now being uh, you know the full homologation team, so we're we're doing everything for the officials. Whereas you know with the with the VF and things like that. Um, uh, Walkinshaw were actually the homologation team, even though we did the aero for those models. Um, so we would just do the aero design, um, and, and then sort of Ludo would go with one of our data engineers and, and a couple of mechanics uh, with the Walkinshaw people there as well to do the aero uh, homologa- 
homologation. So uh, we didn't do the the full homologation from from woe to go sort of thing um, because we weren't the team to do that sort of thing. Even though you know you still did all the aero and, and the the lion share, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, but but now doing the the whole kit and caboodle, it is uh, it is interesting and it's a it's a massive process. Um, yeah. So and and once again we haven't put on uh, a bunch of people. We have we have uh, had to employ a couple of extra engineers um, just because the workload is is so great. Um, but really it's uh, it's people putting on a, a second hat um, when they're not at the racetrack to to get those jobs done. Timeline wise, when you do you put up a Gantt chart for something like that, going this is when we're working on current car, this is when we have to uh, work on the other car. Here's where, here's where this thing is uh, got all the milestones it has to hit, or is it far more yeah, fluid? Yeah. No, no, no. You, you you do that. The fluid bit is you don't put in here's where we're working on the current car. That's that's the fluid one. Um, the other ones you do need the deadlines put in. You do need uh, milestone dates, things like that, um, and, and they are fluid in the sense that at the start of the year you can't just say, "Bang, this is this is when we are doing it." You know exactly when it has to be done by, but you would prefer to do it earlier than the cutoffs. Um, so they're the ones that you say, "Okay, by by this date, uh, we want to have uh, the first uh, aero kit designed by," and then uh, and it's not just the first aero kit; it's obviously broken down into each and every component which that list only ever seems to be growing, not getting smaller. Um, and then it's then they have to be manufactured by X amount of date and, and enough time to then go testing. And, and then in the meantime, when you roll out and, and uh, some, uh, some people down the road have, have, have decided to make their cars go even faster this year, then you have to squeeze in current car development, uh, which you would have preferred not to have done. But uh, that's motorsport. So everyone steps up again. You know, they're already... You're already overloaded just racing uh, what you had and trying to do the, the, the homologation work, not just for next year, but for the year after with the engine program. So to then on top of that say, well, okay, we're not happy with uh, with the speed of our cars uh, that we're running right now. So then you you almost put three things on top. You, know, you have your normal racing uh, with what you've got. You've got the, the next year's car, and then you've got uh, you know, trying to improve this year's car again. Uh, thrown into the mix, so yeah, it's it's busy, but uh, it's it's awesome actually to see everyone digging deep and and putting the putting the effort in. And we've talked a lot about engineering, but drivers have a lot to do with that Gantt chart too, because one big wreck sets everything back. Oh, exactly. It, it, it certainly does, and it's it's them having the flexibility as well uh, to say, bang, we're going to be testing on this date. Uh, you know, you have to be available. You know, what about this? What about that? And and their input to everything is so critical because um, they're the ones that have to drive it. You know, it, it still has, you know, as much you engineer it and it's all scientific and technical, there is still the organic part that, uh, that, that makes it work sort of thing. So their input is critical. And you do try and get it along the way before the you know the parts and the components are made and things like that you know just just directions okay if if the car had uh, are you happy with the aero balance should we should we change it more front bias more rear bias is it is it fine yeah what what's our, our targets because although there's uh you know a homologated aero package um and, and sort of 
it's not like F1 where you just get as much as you can and things like that. Obviously, there's um, you know there's targets to be hit, but uh, you know the, the category is is awesome in the way that uh, it does keep it at a very level playing field, but it does let you say, okay, now we want a bit more front because we think we're going to get into the corner better and line up the exit better, so we think we'll we'll go quicker that way. And someone else goes, no, 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 we just want to focus totally on drive out of the corner, so we want more rear sort of thing. So as long as your total numbers add up, uh, you have cars that uh, make their speed in different ways, which uh, is spectacular to watch. It, it encourages passing. Uh, it, it it also mixes it up when one and one's going fast and the other, you always get, oh, geez, can we make our car handle like we, we think theirs are? It's, it's, uh, it's really fun. How did you make the decision for Shippy to be the engine guy and Couchy to be the chassis guy? Or aero guy, I should say. Yeah, good question. Um, I don't know how we decided that, to be honest. I can't remember. Um, yeah, yeah, we just, just spoke through it sort of thing. I think you know, Couchy was, was pretty uh, pretty motivated to do to the aero side of things. Um, and, and so, yeah, we sort of said, okay, cool, we'll... Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll that, that sounds good. Um, and then, and then Shippy, yeah, Shippy had done a bit of the aero work uh, with with uh, the FGX before he'd left them. Um, so it was funny because in one way he was probably you know, the more you know, experienced in it, but uh, but in, in the other way you sort of go, okay, well you've you've done some of that. We all work so closely together. So you say, well, why don't you do the engine one so you get more experience in that side to make you a more complete and, and rounded engineer and and Couchy, you uh you focus on the aero stuff, and we got uh, another uh, aero engineer from Germany to come along, uh, Florian. Uh, he, he's a great guy, um, so so he's working on on the on the aero package as well. Um, so yeah, it's the aero job is a much a much bigger job in in one sense because we there's a lot more design work at this stage that has to go into the aero aero side of things. Um, and it is generally more complex uh, design work as well. So, uh, yeah, there's there's all these compound curves and you know smooth. You know, you know, we're going to modify a splitter, like so. We want the air to go here and some that uh, engine components that generally are, uh, are a lot easier components to design. Um, not in the theory of them. You still have to put in a lot of effort to make them do what you want to do and, and optimize them. But uh, they are usually, uh, yeah, from a manufacturing side, more more traditional. But you've had, what is it, 30 years of these engines that you're now trying to build a, a new engine that's going to beat them. And we talked before about uh, components going, uh, going astray that doesn't happen anymore. That's the risk, of course, with a, with a new power plant, that these are the things that are you're going to find out potentially how good they are is when you really put them at the maximum strain. Yeah, exactly. The the unique thing is that um, you're trying to make a V6 twin turbo act like a naturally aspirated V8. Um, who does that? No one. And uh, and, and and you're trying to uh, uh, have a maximum power band from the from the category that uh, you know a, a complete usable horsepower number. Um, which again, no one, no one around the world really does that. So there, there's some really unique things that supercars does, um, but it works. It makes our compa- our category the, the most competitive motorsport in the world. You know, if you 
if you look at the lap time over the field for the for over the you know how long the lap time is and the difference, uh, we are the most competitive in the in the world. I think Brazilian touring cars, I think they get pretty close to being as competitive, um, but uh, nothing else comes close. So uh, the formula works, other yeah, and but it does make it tricky when you when you are trying to to design things. Indeed, indeed it does. Just speaking on a broader picture, looking at um, this year's series, it seems as though that the gaps are better, the, the overall series, the way in which it runs, um, and the, you know, going back to the longer distances now at nearly every event. Um, that all seems to be working with you? Yeah, yeah, it's good. The only, the, well, not the only, the hardest bit for us being a Queensland team at the start of the year when everything's down south and you've got the really short turnarounds. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a tough slog. That, that's really hard on, on the crews, uh, especially um, you know, when you have a short break over Christmas. And we we're fortunate enough, actually, that Christmas just gone to have a, have a good break, uh, you know, one, of, one of our longest ever, just over three weeks sort of thing. Um, but this one coming up will we'll go back to probably being a, a very short one. Uh, and then you'll, you'll most likely roll into a very, very similar start to the season when everything's down south. So that's, that's a hard slog. Um, the middle of the year that we're, we're going through right now is, is pretty good. You know, the, you get the, the bigger gaps. You, you know, you, you get a chance to take a breath. But that said, we're filling that breathing with lots of other things. So, um, but the, the race formats, as you were saying as well, that, they are fantastic. They're, they're working really well. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the, the, the tyres doing it, doing a, a great job with, uh, having the right amount of degradation, um, to, to keep the, the racing good, uh, and allowing people to, to do more passing than I think we've seen in, in quite a few seasons. So, uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying the racing. Um, yep. yeah, which, yeah, when you're, when you're watching other people have a dive and this and that, it's, it, it does make the job uh, yeah, a little bit more fun, even though you're, uh, you know, you're, you're very focused on what you're doing and, and try to do that. But when there's other good racing going, yeah, going on in the, in the same race that you're competing and you, you do watch it and, and appreciate a good passing move. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. and next year, Dado is going to be even harder because you're not going to have that extra test weekend. Someone decided to put some points on the Grand Prix. I mean, uh, that's fantastic, actually, because it, it hasn't been a test weekend for us for, for pretty much since we were better electrical. Um, because when we were Vodafone, obviously that was when uh, McLaren was also sponsored by Vodafone, so all of the Vodafone big wigs would be there. So you had to, you had to, you know, go out and, and do your very, very best to, to win it and be totally professional. So there was no just testing and, and having a cruisy weekend. And then when it became Red Bull, obviously all the Red Bull people are there. So I like it because it means that everyone else will have to uh, be as hardworking as us and, and not uh, not rolling in uh, as half-day Harry's you know, having the morning off and, and going out in town and, and, and hitting the clubs all night, just working <laughs> like, like we've been doing. So I think it levels the playing field a bit. I love it. Uh, yes, and I'm sure the uh, the world of relaxation. I know when uh, the time comes at the end of the year and you go off and have your sojourn in Thailand or Vietnam or wherever it is, that uh, you know, play hard, work hard. You know. Yeah, I mean, this, this, these holidays will just be uh, spent in the workshop and trying to spend a little bit of time at home in between uh, working on new stuff for next year. There'll be, I don't think there'll be any overseas trips for almost anyone. It, it, it's it's 
seriously hard work. I had to, you know, we talked about schedules and calendars and things like that at the start of the year. I had to send out the, the schedule for the year of just your race meetings and and uh, and tell people it wasn't a misprint, uh, the lack of holidays at the end of the year. Uh, said, sorry, people, that's uh, that's the the magnitude of the task in front of us. So, and everyone, no one's no one's moaned about it. Obviously, um, well, not to my face anyway. They probably say lots of bad things behind my back, but um, yeah, no, everyone, everyone just yeah gets on with the job. It's it's as simple as that. They yeah, that's that's what we do. Uh, we choose to be there. We choose to have this job. It's it uh, it. You've been around long enough to know it's it's not easy. It's not glamorous. It is a hard slog. Um, especially if you do want to be successful with it. Um, but, yeah, everyone knows the deal and, and just gets on with the job. It's, it's very good. And tell me, you've got three sons aged, what, 17 to 13? Uh, the youngest is about to turn 11. 11, and, uh, 11, to, 11 and, to 17. And have and any of them shown a, an interest or inspiration? Uh, yeah, actually, I just uh, a few, well, probably a month or two ago now, we bought a go-kart. Uh, right. Of course, it's big enough for me to sit in. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, and they're loving it. The middle boy Michael is is probably the most uh, motivated to to get out there and give it a crack. Yeah, and what's but, his first uh, name? Michael. Michael. So all right, yeah. we'll keep an eye out for Michael Dutton, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and Riley's the craziest. Riley's the youngest. He's the one uh, with no fear slash. Uh, not no brains, but let's stick to no fear. Um, yeah, yeah. And, well, uh, well that's what the youngest should do because all the concerns about conserving himself should be gone. And that's well, exactly, exactly what it should be, the one exactly. adventure. I was the youngest. Yeah. Right. But, uh, and we've got a fourth on the way, actually. Oh, uh, congratulations. Yeah. Thank congratulations. you. So, uh, we thought three boys, we'd better have a girl. So, uh, <laughs> so, so we've got a girl on the way. Oh, wonderful, wonderful for you. Well, I suppose that as good a time as any to uh, let you get back to them, although mm-hmm. a couple of them should be asleep by now. Um, thank you so much, Mark. It's been wonderful to talk with you again. I look forward to catching up in person later in the year. And yeah, um, obviously uh, you and your tribe there will keep on doing what they do and uh, keep on doing it. We will uh, work out uh, to take the fight to them, that's for sure. Thank you so much, Mark. Much appreciated for your time. OK, cheers, thank you. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie's tour at the Grand Prix and I just remind myself of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth and you're listening to Inside Supercars. And welcome back to Inside Supercars. And ahead of our final thoughts on the Inside Supercars this week, we're going to be talking to Chris Lambden about the latest developments in his and the other Formula 5000 category. Some great news we've just heard uh, recently that uh, Super 5000 and Chris's category, Formula Thunder 5000, are going to not amalgamate, but uh, come together uh, with a compromise uh, between the two categories. Now, Chris, please tell us how this happened. Uh... Well, look, I guess it's fair to say that, um, you know, once a, 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 I guess, a competing uh, concept arrived on the on the scene, uh, the waters were, were pretty muddied, and I, I think that I got to the point where 
don't think either project was going to get any traction um, for, for one reason or another. So, um, you know, it was clear that uh, ideally there would need to be some form of compromise if that was the case. So um, by John Bauer, who, uh, who organised some introductions, um, I met up firstly with um, John McMillan, who was the CEO of Wilson Securities, uh, and we had a, a very productive chat, and then that led to a chat uh, in Sydney with uh, Brian Boyd, who is, uh, owns Pace, of course. And uh, anyone that follows the sport will notice that Pace and, and, and Wilson kind of work together in their, in their sponsorship around motorsport, and there's a lot of them. Um, and so... We met up in Sydney, and look, I think the most important thing that I that, that, that occurred to me early on was, hey, I'm dealing with a couple of guys here that are just like me and probably a number you and a number of your readers. They're petrol heads, you know, they're, they're motorsport people, and um, that made it very easy ultimately to, you know, to to work out a, a way forward, and um, and that is that. Uh, Pace has, has acquired the rights to our project. Um, they're going to be merged together. Uh, I'm still involved uh, in terms of the tech, what goes uh, or what comes along in, in the technical solution. And um, really, at this point, we haven't got a lot further. They, they, they wanted to get the good news out there fairly quickly that we've come to a you know a resolution. The war's over, and um, I'm very I'm very optimistic about where this is all going to head. Many of the aspects of your car uh, were very um, well thought out. And I'm not saying that for any reason other than that's, that's the way I see it, in that using a, a crate engine as such, uh, an understressed engine, um, which meant low running cost, lower running cost than running a full-race supercar engine, even though they, they do have fairly good durability um, and uh, a low turnover. The other aspect is the, the chassis that you're using is a, a well-proven chassis, has raced for a number of years in Japan, um, and can be readily uh, manufactured. Are these elements that will be uh, transposed into to the cars that end up on the, on the track? Um, look, every, everything's up for grabs at this point. You know, I, I can't really, you know, make a comment because we haven't sat down and, and really okay. gone through it's it early officially. Days. Yeah, it is early days, but, you know... Yes, I, I was particularly happy with our, you know, rear-end engine gearbox setup. Yes, it's $100,000 cheaper than a supercar yep. uh, equivalent. Um, but, you know, this is a joint compromise solution. And as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly encouraged by the fact that the people I'm dealing with at Pace uh, and Wilson are motorsport people. Um, my agreement, my discussions is with them. Um, and they have a relationship with supercars, which I think ultimately will mean that, um, you know, there will end up being a decent series for these cars, and it will probably be on the supercar bill from possibly about the middle of next year. And, you know, that's something that we, on our own, possibly couldn't have achieved. You know, we, we, we were looking at perhaps a summer series, and that might still happen. But there's no doubt that the, that the resources and the will for this to happen that these guys have and the fact that we're now all in the same team is, is a great support. Did they understand the relationships that you'd built up through the uh, the chassis? And also, you had a tyre 
deal all locked up for uh, for your car as well. Did they understand these sorts of aspects of your business model? Um, look, yes, I think so. Um, it, it's, look, at the end of the day, they, both you know, John and, and uh, Brian Boyd are highly successful in their field business people, and you know they, they spend most of their week, you know, doing their day job. Um, this to them, it's it's it's, it's what they enjoy doing, and they're in a position to, you know, to make things happen. I mean, if you add up the, the kind of, if you look around the sport, for example, at the sponsorships that Pace and Wilson as a as a unit uh, do around motorsport, it's probably five million dollars a year. You know, and that kind of, to me, they're, they're sort of like the Penske of Australia that they put their marketing money into motorsport, which is, you know, which is terrific. So yes, I think they were aware. That, you know, of us and our and our situation, but possibly not as aware as you might be if you were involved in it every day. You know, um, I, I never had any issues with with them at all. You know, I did have some issues with supercars and the fact that they embarked upon an, another project in the knowledge that we existed. But you know, you got to move on, and you got, there's no point in in winning. You got to find a solution to things and. Uh, I'm really pleased that I approached these guys um, because I think we're going to going to end up with a really good, good, a really good solution. Well, I must say it's really exciting the idea of having some fast, powerful open wheel racing cars back in Australia again. As you know, Chris, it's been far too long since that's been the case, and uh, it's a really exciting thing to look forward to. Um, you, the next steps from here, you, you've got meetings uh, coming up with. Uh, um, well, is Oscar involved now as well? Um, again, look, it's really early days. Yes, obviously there's going to be some discussions. There's probably going to be some testing uh, of, of cars and stuff and, and so we can actually come to a sensible sensible conclusion. Um, and as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident we'll end up with a, a pretty decent package. Um, but the key thing is that the uncertainty is gone. And I know that, that we, for example, had people you know, really interested in our cars, but holding back because of all this uncertainty and the and the potential for a drama, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, um, everyone's on the same page now, and I'm I'm really hopeful that we'll be able to put together a, a really decent, you know, group of cars. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Chris. It's good to get an update, and we'll look forward in the coming months ahead to see how it develops and, and certainly look forward to seeing how, how the cars uh, get on track. Um, it, so it's aiming for a 2019 season, is it? Uh, 2018. With, with 2018. Luck. Uh, I think that the, you know, what's the word? At this point, with you know, if, if it can all come together as we've hoped, you might see something kicking off halfway through 2018 um, on the supercar bill. And, um, you know, I know for a fact that, that, that uh, Brian at, at Pace and, and John at Wilson, you know, they, they are pushing this seriously. It won't be some, you know, uh, lowbrow support event that's on at nine in the morning. Um, but they'll be pushing to make this something pretty spectacular. Um, you know, they've, they've, they've got the background and the record uh, around the sport. And that's, as I said at the start, that's what I'm mostly encouraged by, their, their, uh, their approach. Well, it might just be the timing of it. It could be the strongest state which has been for many years in open wheelers has been South Australia and Tail and Bend in August next year might be the, the track. <laughs> oh, look, absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, I, as I said, I think um, what 
relationship with supercars, which we didn't have. Um, and so, you know, there's all sorts of potential, and I'm, I'm quite excited about. You know, all this stuff happens for a reason. You know, I, I, I you know, two or three months ago, I was pretty, you know, concerned about where everything was going. Um, but ultimately, you know, thanks to John Bauer, um, we got together, and uh, you know, I think the ultimate outcome is going to be good. I'm sure there are thousands of fans around Australia who will look forward enormously to seeing your car and the development of your cars on track. So thanks again, Chris, for coming on Inside Supercars. No problem. That's for now this week's Final Thoughts. Mine is the great news about Formula 5000. As somebody who uh, not only uh, aspired to be a race car mechanic and worked on 5000s, but somebody who loved the category and loved the fact that there were racing cars in Australia which really challenged the drivers. They were ex- tremendously powerful, exciting, and brought great excitement to crowds. And I'm looking forward to seeing that again in Australian motor racing. It's not like supercars, but this, this country has for far too long not had top-line open-wheel racing, and that would be great to see that category back here again. Craig, your final thought? Mine is, and this is purely on the photos because I haven't stuck my head inside a Super Ute yet, but on the photos that they released of the Super Ute, there was no leg impact protection on the gear shift lever. Now, admittedly, I'm looking at a 3D race car on a 2D photo, but I'm very surprised that there wasn't a a much bigger barrier between the gear lever and the... uh, and the driver's legs, because, uh, you know, we're going through this whole period now in supercars where we're looking at enclosed driver cells, and uh, I would have thought supercars would have made that uh, one of their first priorities in a new racing venture that they're endeavouring to uh, get off the ground. Well, it's certainly something that we should look into, and uh, maybe we'll talk with Ross Stone in the coming weeks to get uh, his... uh, his version of what, what's going to be happening with the cars. Yep, indeed. So that's it for another week of Inside Supercars. We look forward to uh, you joining us and uh, hearing your comments. By all means, send them in by email. Indeed. Thank you, Craig. Thanks very much. And uh, just a plug, Alex Somerset on the show next week. Oh, right. Look forward to that. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Again, it's good night from him. Good night. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.